On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, stories from the road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and today I have the opportunity to speak to Captain Matt again as he shares another one of his stories. Hey, Phil, it's great to be back. You know, I've got uh, about 14 years, so I just actually passed my 14-year mark being a firefighter, being in public safety. Got promoted as a captain last year, uh, the department I worked just outside of uh, the city of Atlanta for a smaller city paramedic also. And uh, a few years ago, I went to uh, police Academy actually uh, to get post certified as a SWAT medic. And uh, so those are the, those are the kind of things that I'm um, involved with and I do for the, the city that I work for. Well, great. Matt, go ahead and share your story from the road. You know, these, uh, this story is actually kind of a combination of two stories, kind of the theme that I wanted to, to touch on this week. And uh, I know it's kind of been a hot topic in the last few years of public safety is uh, it's got a lot to do with mental health. I think a lot of um, a lot of responders, a lot of those in public safety deal with a lot of uh, uh, critical calls and, and incidents. And uh, it's a topic that that needs to be talked about more and needs to be addressed and uh, especially ways for us to uh, to to cope and, and deal with those things. So the first one is actually uh, I was working for uh, an EMS service just after I became a uh, paramedic service, big city. You know, I already mentioned Atlanta, so it's an EMS provider for the city of Atlanta. And uh, I was a medic there for several years. We run a lot of a lot of types of calls there, as you would expect in any any normal big city. You've got you know your typical gunshots, stabbings, um, all kinds of sick people. What is you know respiratory, cardiac. I think one thing that kind of sticks out to me that this call dealt with is the most the emotional toll that um, some of these calls kind of have a 
have uh, on on the responders that that go to them. So this call in particular, and again, to most, it may not seem very much, but uh, I think this combined with you know a lot of the other incidents kind of really kept with me and stayed with me. This call in particular, I can't remember the exact time or even the time of year, to be honest, but I actually remember the call very vividly. And it was for a, um, I want to say roughly a, a 20-something-year-old female who was, um, who was pregnant and uh, was having a possible miscarriage. So to kind of set up the scene, um, you know, it's, it's, I hate to say, you know, it's almost kind of a common call. Um, you deal with a lot of uh, uh, pregnancy type calls in EMS and whether it's, you know, good or bad or, you know, it, things that you're, you're just transporting in the hospital. But so we, we go out to this apartment. One thing I vividly remember and notice when I walk into this apartment is the cleanliness. Again, to those that work in public safety, it's probably more often than not that you'll see a lot of residents and apartments that are not clean. So we noticed how obviously clean it was. But another thing jumped out to me was that it was, um, was actually extremely empty. One thing, you know, you look over and you see a bed, just the bed, the mattress laying on a uh, floor in the bedroom. And then um, really no other furniture, nothing else in the kitchen, nothing else that jumped out to me. And um, there was a you know, I look over at the a small table that was over there by the bed and there was a, it looked like a small gift with like a congratulations, you know, balloon on it. And so after you assess the patient and you hear the story and hear what's going on, it, it was, it was kind of my determination, obviously that I, I don't know for sure, but it sounded like she was having a, um, a miscarriage. You know, one of the things that, that jumped out to me and, and, you know, sticks with me is just how absolutely broken this woman looked. And honestly, my heart absolutely broke for her. It's one of those where I didn't think about it then. It was just another call. Um, For some reason, it stuck with me several weeks. And now years later, it it really kind of hangs in my mind. So the second call, uh, I was working for the same service. And the schedule that I had at the time, I worked uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. The service that I worked for set up a schedule. You work 40-hour week. You worked three success, you know, shifts in succession and you were off for four days. Great schedule. Typically by that third shift, you were, uh, you were whooped. So this was a a week where I had honestly just been run through the ringer. Uh, We had run several cardiac arrests, uh, several shootings, probably throw a stabbing in there, all kinds of sick patients running back to the hospital emergency, you know, multiple times. So this was a Friday night, probably two or three in the morning of getting close to, you know, a few hours away from getting off and being done for the week and, and going home and getting some rest. And uh, I remember, you know, sitting at the post, it being kind of obviously busy, but it, it you know, we're got some downtime and all I'm hoping for is just get to these next few hours and just get home, you know, in one piece. But um, as the late great uh, Billy Mays would say, but wait, there's more. So um, we get dispatched to a, um, Gosh, I want to say she was about 34. It's a very vague description. They basically just said unconscious. We get out to this uh, residence and uh, I walk inside and, you know, jumped out to me. Um, all of her family was there. Her husband, uh, she had several smaller kids and her, um, I believe I'm guessing her parents and her husband's holding approximately, I want to say three to four week old infant. You know, after we assess her, after we take a look at her, she's having, you know, what I thought was a hemorrhagic stroke. You know, for those, you know, 
in the public that are that are listening to this that's uh basically you know bleeding within your cranial vault within your uh, within your brain and uh very potentially deadly, very high mortality rate. We transport her to the hospital, turn her over to the emergency room. And, you know, one of the things that, again, sticks with me and it angers me to this day is I'm sitting outside, the family's starting to come in. And I don't know if it was a, a neurologist or a neurosurgeon, I guess, goes into the room and uh, comes back out and within earshot of the family says, yep, she's screwed and then walks away. When the family hears it, and you you see that they are, they're absolutely devastated. And by this point, man, I uh, you know it's one of those where I had to walk outside. I don't smoke. I don't condone smoking. You know, for obvious health reasons. But I went outside and smoked a cigarette after that week and after that shift uh, I had had. You know, while I'm sitting out there, again, it's Friday night in the city. It's busy, just like anywhere else. Any other EMS agency, shorthanded, understaffed, and so uh, there's. And at that point, there were calls holding, you know, uh, units are responding from the hospital to scenes back to the hospital. There's no, you know, there's no downtime. But uh, uh, after that, I, I needed a minute and uh, sitting outside on the bench right outside the emergency room. And uh, the supervisor walks up to me and it's like, hey, need you to get back in service. And so, uh, you know, I very calmly uh, tell him I, I, I need a minute. I need a minute. And he goes, no, it's, t- it's time to go. We need to go. So, you know, we got into a, a quick little argument and, um, you know, some choice words were said, probably not my best words, but, you know, that was that was a moment. Those are two kind of calls that really kind of bind together. And I think about, you know, the calls that other people, other responders, whether firefighters, paramedics, police officers that they run and to others may not seem um, like a critical incident to them, but or to others, but it, it is to them. That right there, I feel like is is the what needs to be thought about with when it comes to mental health. Emergency responders go through a lot. I think the public's, you know, the public knows about it. Um, yeah, I remember seeing a statistic that said that the average person goes through roughly three to five critical incidents over their their entire life, while the average public servant, whether it's firefighter, police officer, paramedic, goes through anywhere from eight hundred to a thousand. And we're, we're the same kind of humans. We're the same people that are out there in the public. We're, you know, we're no different. We're not built different. We're not wired differently. You know, we're the same people with the same emotions. These two incidents, you know, really affected me later. Um, and, and I've run other type of, of calls, critical, critical calls and, and, and things that have affected me, but these two always jumped out to me and whether it's my own personal strong family connections. Um, I've got a large Hispanic family, very tight knit, uh, very close, you know, huge emphasis on kids and, and babies and, and, uh, you know, just, just that type. And, and I think um, those two really kind of uh, hit, hit home for me. So the kind of the big takeaways for me on those, and again, I, I, I think I hounded this in, in the last, uh, the last podcast we had together, but leadership, 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 that little confrontation I had with the supervisor, unfortunately, it's it's not uncommon. You know, as a supervisor, you know, you you've got a performance level, you've got to meet, and you're getting you know pressure from above. But you've got to take care of your people if you're out there. And this is not even just public safety. If you're in any type of leadership position, you really need to to know what it means to take care of your people and see when they're not um, when things aren't right. You know, I feel like I, I was pretty evident out there when uh, a- after that call that I ran that 
I needed a minute and, and things were not okay for me at that point, especially after the week that I had. And so leadership is one of those where you've got to, you've got to get involved. You got to, you might have to take a personal interest in uh, getting, uh, getting your people taken care of. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in because what you're saying, you know, I, I know when, uh, when Lieutenant Thomas uh, spoke in, in the first podcast, he talked about the cumulative effects of the calls that we see every single day. And it, I don't think it matters if you're fire, EMS, police, first responders see and do things that the average person doesn't ever get exposed to, or if they do, like you said, maybe uh, a minimal exposure throughout the course of their lives. Whereas in the, over the course of several years, you know, the cumulative stress levels that, that we feel as first responders takes its toll. And I, and I think that's what's not being addressed for first responders. You know, we, we, we do a good job with critical incident stress debriefing. So right after something really bad happens, you know, they send out help. But that's typically where it ends. And it's those long-term effects that I think, you know, really bother us and really get to us over time. Um, I know for me personally, you know, that's where I felt the effects of just the long-term cumulative stress of my career. Um, and I think you said something else there that's really important too. You know, supervisors, you're right. They have a tough job to do. They've got to keep units on the road and they've got to serve the public. But they've also got to take care of their people. And I see it outside of first responders where supervisors don't really care about their people. You know, they care about deadlines and plans and, and things that have to be done. I think in public service, I think supervisors have a heightened responsibility to look after their people, you know, ahead of everything else. So I'm glad you brought both of those topics up. But I, I interrupted you, so go ahead and keep going. No, you hit the nail on the head when you, um, when you talk about the cumulative effect. You know, I, I think about the, the image of, and I've heard it before, and, and, and I forgive whoever that came up with this image, but of, of a cup. And, you know, post-traumatic stress is essentially your cup getting too full and overflowing. You're right. The, we, we do a good job at the critical incident stress debriefing, but typically it's only involved with certain incidents. And it's that cumulative effect of running the smaller type calls that nobody else ever hears about. So, uh, yeah, and it's it's definitely important for, you know, for supervisors and, and leadership to to get involved. And in, in the, it's their responsibility to really kind of see that happen. Uh, to see that um, those those changes, and I mean, it, and again, if you look at it from the the manager standpoint for the organization, I as a first responder am no good if I'm not mentally in the game. So it only it's only a win win for for myself, for that supervisor, for um, the organization and the public itself. That if I'm not a hundred percent, if I'm not, not mentally healthy. That, that I'm no good to anybody else. So I'd go a step further and say that if you're not mentally in the game, you're a liability to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that hundred percent. You know, one other thing too, that, uh, you know, to kind of throw in there, just, you know, looking at some things that ways we can to, to remedy this, I would say mental health crisis. I think crisis is a good description for it. Peer support. I know there's a lot of organizations out there that are um, that are starting up that have been going for a while that are have really pushed um, peer support uh, amongst first responders for um, for you know mental health. I don't want to say issues. I hate you know, sometimes using the word issues, but um, mental health problems. As for yourself, as somebody who worked in public safety, where some of our closest people, our closest friends, are, are those that also worked in public safety, and that's where I think the benefit of peer support really, uh, really comes into play. And then uh, I might go against the grain on this one, but uh, I would say sleep. Sleep is probably one of the biggest factors that I think is is underrated on um, 
on mental health. Uh, reading a great book right now called Why We Sleep. And uh, forgive me, I forget the name of the author, but uh, it's probably one of the best books I've ever read. And I recommend that to anybody in the audience, whether you're in public safety or, you know, or not. It's a great book that really outlines and, and shows us the importance of sleep, not just for physical health, but for mental health. And lastly, it, uh, you know, your physical health goes a long way too. Granted, I don't know the, the, the science behind it, but getting a good workout after I've, you know, after a stressful day or stressful week or, or whatever kind of um, stress is for me, one of the best things that I can do to, to recover from that. So just, you know, looking at that personal experience, sleep and good exercise and diet go a long way, you know, for, for public safety and, um, and countering this, this mental health crisis. You know, Matt, you're, you're a supervisor, you're a captain. And I just wonder when your crew runs into these highly critical calls, what are some of the things that you do to help your crews through it? And what are some of the things you do on a regular basis to support your crews? Uh, so I think one of the first things that I do is, is, uh, to me, the first step in all this is, is prevention. I really honestly try to take a, a good look at my crew and to see where they're being overworked. Um, one of the stations I was at before my current station was probably running anywhere between 45, 45 and 4,800 calls a year, um, between our, our rescue and our engine and, and the truck there. And uh, they used to joke, but I had a rule um, when they reached a, a certain number of calls. And I believe it was 12 on the uh, rescue, which ran the most calls in the station. I, I told them, you're done. You're done for the shift. It's time to it's time to swap it out. It's time to um, change it up for for somebody that's fresh. They'd argue about it and they they'd pitch a fit. But, you know, they went with it. And I explained, you know, my reasoning is I'm you know, I'm not going to wear somebody out on it and and. You know, using that as an example of just the prevention tactic, you've got to keep a good eye on your people. You've got to, you've got to recognize when, um, when things are, you know, when, when, when moods are changed, when emotions are changed, you know, understanding and knowing what's going on in their home life. Um, you hear a lot of supervisors that, you know, don't know anything about their people, don't know how many kids they have and, you know, who they're married to, if they have any, you know, there's any marriage issues. And, and I know there's a fine line of, of being too involved, but um, I think that's especially in public safety because of how close we are. And, you know, essentially we live together every third day. So it is my responsibility to kind of understand whether, you know, it's up to them how, how much, you know, I know, but it's my responsibility to understand what they're going through in their home life. So I can, I can first know if they're, they're good to go and they're ready to, to serve the public. But to know when um, to know when they need that help and to know when, you know, it's maybe time to, to sit down and try to to chat things out. And, um, you know, believe it or not, I think um, especially becoming a company officer at first, it was it was something difficult to be able to sit down with somebody and talk about something difficult. You know, but now it's it's um, it's got a lot easier. And, and I think people would be surprised at how much somebody will open up um, if you're willing to listen. And, um, you're willing to just hear somebody. And, and that's the other big thing too, is I try not to talk a lot. I don't try. I'm not the type that, that gives advice or tries to fix a problem, which is, you know, what we're, I guess we're programmed to do in public safety, but just be somebody there to listen. And that's that big part of, um, you know, that peer support, just listening to somebody can go a long way. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's great advice, Matt. And I think that's something that a lot of company officers can, can certainly take away from, from this podcast if they're listening and, and really. You know, when I think about public safety, especially in the firehouse, 
I think it's one of the few career areas where you not only know the guys that you work with every day, but you know their families, you know their kids, you know what's going on in their lives. And I think that's one of the things that makes public service so unique. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you know, and I know I talk about firefighting, but I think I've been around uh, law enforcement too enough and in, in EMS to where there's still those connections there. Um, you know, there's still the the being around somebody with so much and, and understand what's going on in their home life. So I think it's not just uh, stuck to the fire service and it can broaden out from that. And I even challenge really anybody that's in a leadership role to to take that responsibility to understand what's going on. I think you can go a long way in, in trying to, you know, help, help some of your people beneath you uh, deal with whatever kind of issues they have going on. Matt, as we as we wrap this up, is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, I really want to, you know, I really kind of want to emphasize the the you know outside of the mental health, but really honestly, the the sleep portion and the uh, you know the physical fitness. Uh, besides it being a, a a crucial function of our job, um, I think it's also a good uh, a good way to de stress. Um, and I encourage anybody who who is either um, not any kind of routine or, or um, but I, I encourage everybody to, to investigate on their own, really looking at, you know, their, their amount of time they're sleeping and, and getting that physical fitness. That's something that we think is really important and is really underutilized, you know, and not just in public safety, but that's something that uh, we really need to put a better emphasis on for, for health. Well, thanks for taking some time and, and sharing these two stories and then also sharing your perspective on mental health for first responders. I really appreciate you talking to our listeners. Uh, You are welcome to come back anytime and and share some more stories with us. We'd love to have you. I appreciate you, uh, you know, you speaking from the heart and telling your story. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate you having me on here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.